do Bible passages, you might like to start opening these up as she uh, walks up the front. The first one is from the Old Testament, it's 2 Samuel chapter 9, and uh, then she'll be reading to us from Luke chapter 14. Good morning, Heather. Good morning, everyone. In my Bible, it's page 220, but it's good watching there. So 2 Samuel chapter 9. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Zebra answered, He's at the house of Machiah, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machiah, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth. Your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Paul's servant, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Now we're turning to Luke. Chapter 14, starting at verse 15. Is that right? Yes. Good. <laughs> so reading from Luke 14. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. 
The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited to uh, we'll get a taste of my banquet. Okay, let, let us pray because I'm just a human being. I'm a man, but God's word is spiritual and it's powerful. And without the presence of the Holy Spirit, we need this, the Holy Spirit for it to work in our hearts. Uh, so let us pray. Lord, I do pray that right now as we come to look at your passage, uh, may your word reveal the truth of our relationship that we have with you, the great blessings that you have given to us uh, through this relationship with Christ. Pray that I will speak clearly and all the things that have been happening in this last week that are in our minds, that you will clear our minds, Lord, so that we can truly concentrate on you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> you probably have heard these figures of speech. In fact, they might have even been directed to you. He's a chip off the old block, or she is the splitting image, or he's a dead ringer. When you hear it, you immediately know that somebody's talking about you, that you have some characteristic which is probably your father or mother. I remember walking down the road and my uncle said to me, Stephen, you just walk like your father. It's interesting that this is true, but the scriptures or the teachers, the uh, teachers of the Bible tell us that there are characters in the Old Testament that are shadows of Christ. And they begin with people like Moses, Joseph, Joshua, and David. Today we're going to have a look at David. Now, none of you would actually go and get a DVD or go to a streaming service and you would start in the middle of the movie, would you? Because you would not know what's happened up to there. The, the context of that middle part would be totally disjointed. You need to know what's happened before that would lead up to that part. So let's have a look at what the background of this passage is. Now, First and Second Samuel deals with the beginning of the kings. Up to then, the judges were ruling over Israel. God chooses Saul to be the first king. And we read in Samuel that Saul rules for 40 years, but Saul was unfaithful to God, so God rejected him and he chose another man, and that was David. We all have heard of the story of David and Goliath. And after David defeated Goliath, Saul brought him into his house. And because he was such a good fighter, he put him into the army. And because he led the men so well, he rose up in the ranks very quickly until he became a general. One time he came back 
after winning a battle against the Philistines that the people shouted out, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. When Saul heard that, he was totally angry. He was scared. He thought to himself, if David had gained so much attraction to the people, soon he would easily be able to overthrow me and become king. And he sought to kill David. Twice he tried to throw a spear at David while he was at his home. David avoided it. Eventually, David had to run away from Saul. For five years, he was chased by Saul. Saul would hear that David is in the stronghold. So he would get the best of his soldiers and he would ride out to, in order to catch David. But God prevented that. Eventually, David thought to himself, one day Saul will catch me and kill me. So he went to the Philistines and he stayed there. And when that happened, Saul stopped chasing him. But one day, Saul, Jonathan, went out to fight the Philistines and both of them got killed. When David heard that, he returned to Israel. And the tribes of Israel, the full 12 tribes came up to David and said, let us let you become king. But before that had happened, Judah came up to David and said, become our king. And he did. And then the other 11 rejected David and chose Ishbosheth, the last son of Saul. And for seven years, Ishbosheth tried to kill David. He waged war against David and Judah. But eventually, Ishbosheth died. And David became the king over all of Israel. And such was David's uh, rule and complete rule. We can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1, how he has total control. This tells about his victories when he was the king of Israel. In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. He took Megath, Amma, from the control of the Philistines. David also defeated the Moabites. He made them lie down on the ground and measured them off with a length of cord. Every two lengths of them were put to death and the third length were allowed to live. So the Moabites became subject to David and brought tribute. Such was his rule he had total control and all of his enemies would have been in fear of David and it is with this background we come to this passage of David and Mephibosheth when David is there he's sitting in his court he wants to fulfill a promise that he had given to his best friend Jonathan the son of Saul And that promise was that if any one of them should die, the other one would look after his descendants, the other one's descendants. And David wanted to fulfill that. So he asked this question in the court in chapter 9. He says, Is there anyone still still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So we discover what, what is the purpose of this inquiry 
Why is he asking about Mephibosheth? It's because he wants to fulfill a promise and show kindness to him because of his friend, Jonathan. Not only that, but have a look at verse 3. 3 verse A. This is what David says to Ziba, the servant. Is there, is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? There are two reasons here that David wants to be kind to Mephibosheth. He wants to fulfill a promise that he's made to his friend Jonathan, but he wants to demonstrate the act of kindness that God shows to even him and to others and to us. Such is the kindness that he wants to show to Mephibosheth. So what does Ziba tell David? He says this concerning, uh, is there a, a descendant still left in the house of Saul? In verse 3, Ziba answers the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Now, when we hear about that, it, it's, we just sometimes just forget about it because we know what a cripple is. But the problem is a cripple in that time, in the time of David, it means that he has lost every opportunity to make any money to provide for himself or his family because the people of that day would be mainly farmers, would require them to walk around, to go to the to the field, to willow it, to plant, to then water it. But as a, as a cripple, you're totally dependent upon your family and your extended family to look after you. But in the case of, Mephi in case of Mephibosheth, he has none. His grandfather Saul is dead. His father Jonathan is dead. And his uncle, Ishbosheth, is dead. No one is there to look after him. So he is, goes to the only thing that he can do is beg. Such is a terrible state for Mephibosheth. So David calls or summons Mephibosheth in verse 5 to 6. So David... So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. <clears throat> I can just imagine what would have happened to Mephibosheth when the men from David's court came to him. The king wants you. And Mephibosheth would be thinking to himself, my grandfather for five years chased after David trying to kill him. Eventually, David flees to the Philistines. Then, after he came back, my uncle for seven years waged war with David. Why is he calling me? Obviously, he's going to kill me. It would not be out of the question in that time for that to have occurred. In fact, when a new king comes up, they would annihilate all other people who were related to the previous king. That was common. So Mephibosheth would have been scared. And I think that's what it shows when he comes before David. So when Mephibosheth comes, he, he says this. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. 
David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Now listen here. Now we get a little bit of an understanding that Mephibosheth must have been afraid. Because what is the first thing that David says to him in verse 7? Don't be afraid. I think it would have been obvious to David that Mephibosheth was petrified. But what Mephibosheth was anticipating, something which would be dire, dreadful thing that might, will happen to him, he hears totally different. He hears blessing that will be shown to him or kindness. Listen to what David shows kindness. There are three things here. The first thing is to reassure him immediately that his intentions is not for evil. He says to him, don't be afraid, in verse 7. <clears throat> then he says this. <clears throat> for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. By the fact that he's restoring to him the wealth of his grandfather, one day Mephibosheth has nothing. He's begging in the streets. The next day, David is saying to him, I'm going to give to you all the belongings, all the land, everything that was Saul's. Now, Saul had been king for 40 years. He would have accumulated immense wealth. So, Mephibosheth is going from a pauper to probably one of the richest people in the land. And another thing to think about is this cost David immensely. You say, how can it be? This is Saul's wealth. How can it cost him everything or a lot? You see, when a king becomes a king, even the property of the previous king, if they're dead, will become his. So basically, David is almost saying, you can have more than the half of my wealth. It would be probably a lot more than that. Imagine a billionaire today. Imagine James Packer sees a man in the street who has nothing. He has no place to lay his head. And he gives him more than half of his wealth. It's unheard of. And not only that, but a man whose grandfather persecuted him and his uncle tried to kill him. That is unthinkable. It would never happen. But David is doing this. Such is the kindness that David is showing to Mephibosheth. Obviously, kindness which is God's kindness. Amazing kindness. Now, if Mephibosheth had any concern that this is a, just a sick joke, that David's going to say, I'm going to give you all this, but that he's going to kill me. Before I come to this, let us see the third point, because I actually missed it. The third point that he's going to show kindness is that Mephibosheth is going to sit at his table with the king's sons, the princes, and eat with the king. Now, to eat at the king's table 
You have to be a, a prince. You can't be anybody else. So what David is going to do here, he's giving him an honour which is only due to the princes. Mephibosheth has gone from a nobody who had nothing to a man who's extremely wealthy and will receive great honour. Even though he is crippled, people will be afraid to mock him because he will have the privileges like that of a prince. Such is the kindness that David is showing to Mephibosheth. Now, if Mephibosheth thought that this is just a sick joke, what David's about to do will eliminate all that. See what he does in verse 9. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his father. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. You see, what David's done now, he's made it public, this declaration. And when you, as a king, make it public, you make it into law. So there is no doubt now for Mephibosheth that this is going to happen. David's made it public. He's told this servant, which was Saul's servant, you're going to be a servant for Mephibosheth and you're going to look after him. One of the most interesting things in this chapter is the very last verse of the chapter, if you go to it. This is what the narrator is saying. It's probably Samuel is writing it. And probably when you would come and read it, you would just brush by it. But the thing is what the intent is. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. Why did the writer tell us, not only here but earlier, that Mephibosheth was lame? Why does he sum it up right at the end of the chapter? Why is it? Why is this the last bit he mentions? It's because he wants to emphasise it. This is unusual what's happened. In 91, I went to India with some people from my previous church. We were on a, visiting a missionary in the south. We spent some time with him. Then we went up to... Uh, New Delhi and we had some rest and re- relaxation we decided we'll go down to Agra where the Taj Mahal is do a touristy thing and we thought that'd be great well, let's see it it's, it's a magnificent building I've heard of it so we jumped in a train six hours later we reached Agra now anywhere where you travel which is a tourist destination you will always find beggars at that destination We got out of the train, there were plenty of beggars there, but there was one man who was lame and the affliction that he had was dreadful. It was hard to look at him. My heart went out to him, but it was hard to look and see the deformation of his legs. Now, one thing I didn't mention was Mephibosheth broke, had his legs broken when he was a baby. Uh, His nurse heard that 
Saul and Jonathan got killed by the Philistines in the war. She picked up the child, the baby, and was to run, and she dropped him, and he broke both of his legs. Now, there wasn't any medical uh, hospitals to go to where you can make sure that the leg would set straight. It set as it broke, and you just can imagine how it would have grown. It would have been distorted. It would have been ugly. People would uh, would look away from you. But here, David the king has decided that Mephibosheth is going to sit at his table every day, each time, morning, lunch and dinner, if it was three times in the day, and he would see it every day. He would see the deformity. This is unheard of in that time. The kings of that time would never allow a lame person into his court. Would never. Only the beautiful people would be there. Never allow a person who is deformed. David is very happy for that to happen. He will be reminded every day of the affliction that Mephibosheth had. It's always good when we come to a passage of the scripture thinking, how does this apply to me? There's two ways to look at it. Remember the passage that we read from the New Testament? There was a Pharisee that said, blessed are those who will eat in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus gave a parable about a rich man who had a party. He, he sent out the invitations But all the people who were invited had excuses. They didn't come. And eventually the the man said to his servants, go out and bring in all the lame, all the poor, all the blind, all the crippled, and fill my house. Who is it that Jesus is talking about? Who is it that's going to fill... Christ's house, God's house. It's all those who believe in Jesus. That's you and me. But what Jesus is saying, we, we, from God's perspective, we are crippled. We were poor. We had nothing. We were unsightly. Now, remember what I said about David? He's a shadow of Christ. Yes, David did an amazing thing for Mephibosheth. But think what Christ has done for us. It far exceeds that of David. Because we inherit an eternal inheritance. And it's beyond our imagination, Paul talks about. What God has installed for us. And not only that... I mean, Mephibosheth becomes like a prince, but we become children of God, sons of God. We, we are adopted into God's family. Isn't that amazing? I mean, when you look at the, what David has done, it stirs your heart. But that's only a fraction of what God has done for us. Isn't it amazing? Does it, does it make you want to... Praise God and say, I want to do something for my Lord. Such has he done for me. 
You know, the greatest thing that I want to hear, I cry all, all the time when I mention this, my boys pointed out to me, I want to hear from Christ to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that an honour to have, to Christ say, the King of Kings, the one who has created everything, this earth, this universe, he has amazing and immense power. Imagine hearing that from Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, just in case there is someone here who hasn't yet given your life to Christ. You know, you might have grown up in a Christian family, but you, you're there thinking, well, I don't know. That's maybe my dad or my mum's choice. Uh, I want to see what it's like to be out there as an adult out in the world. You know, um, see where I can go. Maybe later on in my life I might uh, give my life to Christ. I uh, went to, when I was in my 20s, I went to a Baptist church. And there was a gentleman at this Baptist church. He was a deacon and he was an accountant and he was accountant for Kerry Packer, the billionaire who owns Channel 9. And he must have had a really, really close friendship with Kerry Packer. Because one Sunday evening, I was at the church, I was waiting for the church to start. And who comes into the church but this gentleman, who's this accountant, and who was with him was James Packer, a young James Packer, about 20 years of age. Everybody knew who it was. Everybody was astounded who came in and sat down at the front. Everyone who was of importance came over to him and was encouraging him and welcoming him there. The service went. There was a gospel message. There was an, a, a call to come forward. He didn't go forward. I, I, I didn't make any judgment at that time. But nowadays, when I look at the life of Kerry Packer, no, it's James Packer, and hear his testimony at the, um, there was a casino uh, uh, judgment where the, there was cases were brought forward where the Star Casino would, should or uh, will get a, a licence in Sydney. There was, Kerry Pack, uh, there was James Packer there. And James Packer was saying, you know, I've gone through a lot of depression recently. I can't do anything. He's got so immense wealth. He's got everything. He's done lots of things. He's gone everywhere around the world. He's got boats. He's got cars. He's got mansions. In fact, the Star Casino, the top three floors of the Star Casino was being reserved for him. But he never lived in it. And he chose not to. What is the benefit of experiencing this life? Why, why should we not move forward? Why don't we give our lives to Christ now? Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. This world offers things for you, but it won't give you satisfaction. Look at James Packer. He had everything, but he had sadness, had great depression, who wants that? 
I would encourage you, if you have not yet given your life to Christ, decided who you will follow, today is the day to make that decision. Follow Christ. Think of the great reward we receive when we do. We become sons of God, children of God. We have a great inheritance and eternity with God, a new body. And we'll see face-to-face Christ and face-to-face our Heavenly Father. Amen.